Well, happy Father's Day, dads. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful uh, that I had a dad that um, took me to church. And for you dads that are in church today, whether you're walking online or watching online or, or in this room, uh, well done. You know, um, Robin and I both grew up with dads that uh, walk with the Lord and that pushed us, without apology, pushed us. To, to walk with the Lord. And, uh, you know, I want you to know, dads, that will produce incredible fruit for you in your life. And so, well done. And I'm, I'm thankful that you are here on Father's Day. Now, um, you know, I'm going to take a little liberty this morning. I, normally, we just jump right into the text of Scripture. And we're, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians 13, if you want to put your fingers there in your Bible. But, but I do want to take just a moment to talk about the Southern Baptist Convention. I went with six of our five others in our church, and we went to the Southern Baptist Convention this week. And, and, uh, and, and you know, the, the truth is, I find myself uh, talking um, to people about what Southern Baptists are, you know, and, and Southern Baptists are our people, okay? Now, not every Baptist church in Owasso and in Tulsa is a Southern Baptist church. You may not know that. Not every Baptist church is a Southern Baptist, but, but that's our people. And, um, and, you know, the media may not have articulated exactly what happened this week. I know that may surprise you that there may be, have been a little confusion there. But, but most people with Baptists, they, they think, oh, Baptists, you're the people that don't dance, right? That's what they, now, I cannot confirm or deny a possible video about a year ago uh, when my daughter got married uh, there was a certain Baptist pastor that may have danced with his daughter. And, and, and one of the things that that video might confirm is that Baptists do in fact dance, but it may also confirm that Baptists shouldn't dance or, or can't dance. I don't know. I don't know if you saw that. That's another story. But, um, but, but you know, um, it might, it might, I'm not too surprised that, that maybe the wrestling that we did this week um, maybe was seen in a bad light. But, but, but here's what I think. I, like when we, we have some big issues in our world. We have some challenging issues to deal with, both theologically and culturally. And I would argue that, that coming together to wrestle over some of these big issues is a good thing, not a bad thing. And, and in a lost, maybe a world that is outside of us, maybe doesn't, they don't fully understand that. But, but I want you to see a picture. This is a picture that Chad took. And, and I think it really shows what the heart of what went on this week. And so uh, it's going to be both online if you're going to be able to see it. But, but this meeting this week is, was so very interesting. It, it, I can't imagine another business meeting larger than ever in the world. There were 16,000 people that came. And, and, I, and this picture is so cool because it's 16,000 people on their knees asking God for wisdom, for help, for direction. And regardless of what you've heard in the news or if, if you followed it, and maybe you didn't, um, and that's okay too, but, but, but I, I, I do want you to know that, that there was a meeting this week with 16,000 people with microphones all over the floor, about 12 of them, I think. 
that any one of those participants could come to the microphone and say, hey, I want to make my voice heard. Because that's how we roll with this meeting. But, but that meeting was executed with order, with grace, with prayer. And, and I'll tell you what, it was amazing to, uh, to see it happen. And so regardless of what you may have heard by some media outlet, uh, I, I want to just explain for just a minute what it means to be a Southern Baptist, because I find myself doing that a lot. And I just want to take a moment to talk about it for, before we get into our text today. But do you realize that as a Southern Baptist, we are the largest denomination, Protestant denomination in the world. That's, that's we're a part of that. And I'll tell you, when we went this week, you get to see the scope of that, and it was pretty impressive. Now, do you, here's, there, one of the preachers that spoke uh, threw this out. He said, did you realize that if you count up the number of Starbucks, McDonald's, and Walmart in the, in the United States of America, there are more Southern Baptist churches than Starbucks, Walmarts, and McDonald's combined. Amen. Now think about that. Okay, that's like, think how many Starbucks you pass when you're going on a trip or McDonald's or Walmarts, right? Um, so, so the scale of our Southern Baptist work is, is pretty extensive. Um, here's, what, here's what I want you to know about Southern Baptist churches. And this is really interesting. Do you know that every Southern Baptist church is autonomous? Here's what that means, that nobody outside of us is telling us what to do or how to function or what pastors to have, what staff members to have. Nobody outside of this congregation decides those things. And the fact that you had representatives from, that were in the number of 16,000 of autonomous churches, and they came together to wrestle through some tough issues with grace, order, and... Uh, in prayer, that's, that's impressive. And, and I just want you to know, uh, what brings us together, though, is this, this statement of faith called the Baptist Faith and Message. It's a set of doctrinal confessional statements that unite us theologically. And, and I'll tell you, I sat with, like, I don't know one person that I sat with this week that doesn't hold to that set of beliefs. You ought to know about those beliefs. Google it. It's on our website, or it's in, you can Google the Baptist faith and message. Not now, because I'm going to preach here in just a minute. But, um, but, but I, I do, you ought, to, you ought to read that. You ought to read those statements of faith. And, and, and you know what? what do, what's amazing about being a Southern Baptist is we cooperate together to do some incredible work around the world. Like right now, I serve as a trustee for the IMB, which is a, one of our, our entities that sends missionaries all over the world. Hey, by the way, Mark Hall's here. I know he didn't want me to call him out. Man, Mark, stand up. Mark grew up in this church. That man right there and his wife, God has called them to missions in Cambodia. And I'll tell you, Mark and Ann are two missionaries that are connected to the International Mission Board 
that are changing the world through bringing really incredible help to Cambodia and all over Asia, but they're also sharing the gospel. That man, right? Give him a hand. Give him a hand. Um, he grew up in this church. And what we do cooperatively through the International Mission Board is absolutely inspiring. Just the other day, we did a sending celebration where we sent missionaries all over the world, 65 of them, 60-something of them. And I'll tell you, that's phenomenal. Like, another thing we do cooperatively, uh, if you look outside in our parking lot that way, I think, um, there are these trailers with disaster relief. Do you know that when a disaster happens in the United States, that it's our Southern Baptist disaster relief that runs into it? And we, we help. That's a kitchen out there. It's a mobile kitchen. But there's all aspects of disaster relief that we go in and, and run, to the, run to help people. And, and this doesn't just happen in the United States. It happens all over the world. Global, global response. We have a global response to disasters where it's our cooperation that funds all of it. Because here's what we do. Our church gives 6% of every dollar we receive. We give that to what we call the cooperative program. So our, you can do the math, our budget uh, on an annual church budget is about a little over $3 million a year. And, and 6% of that we send to fund these, these pursuits all over the world. And let me tell you, what we do cooper, uh, cooperatively is truly phenomenal. And, and so, regardless of what the media said um, about this meeting that six of us went to, um, some are saying, oh, Southern Baptists are like becoming liberal and all this stuff. There ain't nobody I hung out with that was in that, like could even brandish the T-shirt that says liberal, Okay. And, and here's, here's what we, we're in a de- denomination that believes the word of God. We believe it. We are, in a, we are among a group of people known as great commission people. Like we have a great commission that God has called us to in, the, in, in Matthew 28. And, and we are focused on that great commission. And, and you know, when I think about our people, um, it was, it was incredible what we experienced this week. Did we wrestle some? Yes, we did. But is that good? Oh my goodness, yes it is. Let me tell you, we live in a world with complex, challenging problems. And let me tell you, this isn't the last time we will come together and wrestle through tough issues. Did we solve every issue? No, we did not. But I'll tell you, just like I, I, have, a, I have a brother, his name's Mike, there have been many times Mike and I have sat down together and said, we got we to gotta deal with some tough issues. And then we deal with it and then stand side by side because we're brothers. That's what we saw this week. And so don't believe, here's a little piece of advice, not everything on the internet is true. Understand that. Don't always believe everything you hear. And I'll tell you what, I'm grateful that we are called to serve the Lord side by side with Southern Baptists. That's our people. And I'm grateful for our people. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 13, because our purpose is not to be a 
Southern Baptist promo today to look at the Word of God. And then we're starting a series today that I think is a very important series. We're going to be in this the rest of the summer. It's a little bit of a prequel because come January, we're going to turn our face to, the, to study the book of 1 Corinthians, which pulls up some, some really important issues for us. But, but this morning, we're going to kind of start uh, a prequel of, of 1 Corinthians, uh, and we're going to take a look the, the rest of the summer at 1 Corinthians 13 which is a famous chapter. It's known as the love chapter, and it's, uh, uh, it's often quoted at weddings. And, and, uh, but let's dive into it. We're going to look today at verses 1 through 8, even though we're going to focus on verses 1 through 3. So stand with me, and let's read God's Word today and allow His Spirit to speak to our hearts. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge... It will pass away. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. you. May be seated. Now, now let's, this is a prequel. We're going to be here all summer. We're going to look at what it, what it really looks like to love. But, but as you, as we think about this passage, what's your goal in life? Like, think about what your goal in life is. Um, That's pretty important. We have goals and we have things we want to accomplish and, 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 but, but I think it's important for us to have an understanding of what God's goal for us should be. You know, for some, uh, their most important, important goal, I know people that their most important goal is to have fun. So if that's your most important goal, then, then whatever is uh, the most fun, that's what you're going to choose. Some, for some, their most important goal is maybe security. And, and if that's the case, then, then you're going to do things that take the, less, the least amount of risk, right? If that's your goal. For some, the most important goal is comfort. And, and so they look at life and go, I just want to be comfortable in life. So, so they choose the path that's most comfortable. I know people that their most important goal is to be wealthy or to have money. And, and so they just choose those paths that, that give them the most um, resources. But, but God has spoken to us as believers. God has given us, we know the great command, the great commission, Matthew 28, that drives us to, to see the world but, but, and, to, and to reach the world with the gospel. But, but God also gives the great commandment, Mark chapter 12, the great commandment. Jesus was confronted by, by these Pharisees and, he, and he, he was asked, hey, what's the most important commandment, you know? 
And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Lo- love, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus summarized it, that, that you've got to love God, love others. And when I look at my Bible and I read my Bible about how I should live, we understand that, that love must be our greatest aim, right? When it comes to the goal in life, it's, it's love has got to be our, our aim. Love's our, our goal. And if we're taking notes today, that's what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. Is that love is the primary goal in life. And this is something that we've got to understand. And this this chapter helps us process that the the primary goal in life is is to love. But what what does that look like? Well, the rest of the summer, we're going to dig into what that looks like, how that's fleshed out in in our everyday life. And we're going to take a slow look for the rest of the summer on on what God says in 1 Corinthians 13. And, and we, we learn some things about life. I mean, think about it. Um, Jesus reminds us that, that what's most important is relationships. That's the most important thing in life. It's not what you have. It's not what you achieve. The most important thing in life is relationships. It starts with your relationship with God. Uh, John 17, 3. Jesus says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ in whom you have sent. So, so we understand that the, the most important relationship that you could ever have is a relationship with God. But and that, that's a relationship that will carry into eternity. It will impact your eternity. If you don't have a relationship with God, you won't know eternal life in heaven. If you do have a relationship with God, you will. But you know, another part of our relationships is that carry on into eternity is our relationships with one another. I think heaven is a place of remembrance. I think we're going to know uh, our work on the earth. I think we're going to know the pursuits that we have joined in together with. And I, and, and I think it's important for us to recognize 1 Corinthians 13 because he's reminding us that love must be our primary goal. Let's look at this passage. We see in this passage that without love, words are empty. Look at verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You know, uh, I thought about getting a gong up here and just start pounding on it and going, see, that's what it means there. But I think you could get it, right? You can, just, you can envision it. Have you, ever, have you ever been talking to somebody? and your words were empty to them? I mean, I mean, the Bible says right here, it says, without love, your, your words are empty. Andy Stanley said something several years ago that I think was so very good. As he was talking to a group of, of young dads, and he, and he said to these young dads, he says, guys, I, I want you to know something. What, what you're going to value the most as an older man, you won't value as an older man your, your, uh, your toys you've achieved or your, or your accomplishments at work. Those are, those are not the things that you're going to truly value. What you will value the most as an older man is the respect of your children. And I thought, man, that's a good word. Because it was to these younger men, and he was saying to them, look, as a younger dad, don't, don't live in such a way that will cause your children to disrespect you because you don't want your words to be empty. Have you ever been talking to somebody and your words were empty to them? Man, the Bible says, 
Without love, our words are just noise. I mean, I think about the, the communicators in the world, and, and most of them, when they, uh, even if they're really gifted, if they're not loving, it's found out. I think we got to recognize that without love, words are empty. Without, without love, knowledge is meaningless. Look at that. Look at verse 2. If I have prophetic powers and can understand all mysteries and all knowledge. I mean, you can be the most intelligent person in the room. You can have all kinds of degrees and doctorates and all those things, and, and, and without love, you don't have anything. I mean, think about knowledge. I mean, we're living this information age. We have so much, so much knowledge around us, so much information. I mean, you think about how much smarter we are today with computers and with, with technology and with, with medical advancements. And, and, and think about the, uh, the, the advancements in construction and, and all that we see. We, we are so much more efficient. I mean, I read an article this week about a conveyor belt, belt at Chick-fil-A that they get food out faster, you know. And, uh, and, and there's so much advancement. But let's, let's be honest. Has all that advancement, has all that knowledge eradicated the problems in humanity? No. No, without, without love, knowledge, man, it's, it's meaningless. Without love, this verse says that, that beliefs are ineffective. I mean, I mean, your beliefs are ineffective without love. If I have all faith, it says, so as to remove mountains... But have not love, look at this, I am nothing. Now look, what we believe matters. It really does. It's important for us to to come together and wrestle through some of these complex issues in in our culture and these these beliefs that are are problematic. What what we believe matters, but, but, but God says, even just right beliefs, you can have right beliefs and not have love and not have anything. I mean, Jesus said in Revelation 2, remember Revelation 2? He's talking to a church and he says to this church that, that look, um, you, you have all your doctrine right. You have all your beliefs right. Everything you stand for is right. But then he says in Revelation 2, but this I have against you, you've lost your first love. And then Jesus says to this church, I'm going to remove your lampstand from you. So here's a church that believed the right things, but they didn't have love and they, they had nothing. And so let's remember, let's recognize that that. that I mean, Jesus said in Mark chapter eleven twenty three. It's kind of referenced in First Corinthians thirteen that that he he in Mark eleven twenty three. Jesus is talking about faith, and he says, "Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt it in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him." So, so even Jesus says we could have faith that is so strong that a mountain could be removed. But then he follows it up in 1 Corinthians 13 that if you don't have love, even that's meaningless. It's tough. We've got to listen to Galatians 5, 6. You've got to write that verse down, Galatians 5, 6. It says this, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working 
through love, Paul writes in Galatians 5, 16. That's a powerful verse. He says the only thing that counts, your faith, the only way your faith will count, the only way that your beliefs will count is if it is expressed through love. And this is something we got to hear, we got to know, because um, faith is important, but without love, it has no power. And what I don't want to do is, is live my life going, or, live, or our church to, to be serving so well, but then, but then we don't have love. I don't want our, to be in a denomination that, that, that is doing all these good things, but we don't have love, and then we lose all the influence. It even says, without love, gifts are useless. Gifts that you give are useless without love. If I give all I have in verse 3, I give away all I have. You could go sell everything you have and, and give it away, but if you don't have love, if, if that's not the greatest goal of your life, if that's not your pursuit, you've accomplished nothing. That's fascinating, isn't it? That you may be thinking, well, uh, golly, uh, I give. That, 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 doesn't that say you love? But, but some people give for different reasons. Some people give out of, they want their name on a building. Some people give because it, they just feel this obligation or feel guilt. It just makes them feel better. Some people give out of, I just want to look good in front of somebody else. And, and what, what the Bible so often does, what Jesus so often does, it gets to the heart of the matter. That just because you give something doesn't mean you're doing it in love. And if you give without a spirit of love, and then, then it's worthless, it says. You see also, also that without love, accomplishments don't matter. Your accomplishments don't matter. If I give away all I have and deliver, verse 3, if I deliver my body up to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, Paul's writing here, and it's, it's interesting because he's writing to the first century Christians, and, and they knew what it was like to face persecution, like real persecution. It'd be like, like uh, us coming together and go, oh, man, uh, tough day, uh, tough week, guys. Uh, Rick Cuscio, man, he was burned at the stake this week. Man, let's pray for his family. Or fed to the lions this week. I, I, I mean, Rick's like MacGyver. I think he would beat up the lion. But, uh, but, 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 you know, that's probably what we'd be talking about. Like Rick whipped that lion's rear. It was awesome. Um, but but, you know, this was a church that was written, that Paul's writing to, that faced real difficulty. And listen to the challenge. They were saying, now, we've got to love those that are persecuting us. Man. He says, if I, I can even pay the ultimate sacrifice, give my life for the kingdom of God, but if I don't have love, I don't have anything. Success without love is empty. And, and this is why it's got to be the greatest goal. This is why we've got to lean into this. Lord, how, teach us how to love. And thankfully, 1 Corinthians 13 teaches us how to love. And we're going to dive into this. Now, when the Bible speaks of love, they're not going to go into like a Greek study. But there's some Greek words the Bible uses to describe love. There's three of them, actually. And the first is eros, which, which is kind of a, the, it's the idea of sexual love. It's spoken of in marriage. It's, um, it's, it's a sexual love. 
It's where we get the word erotic from. Now, under God's umbrella of protection, that's a blessing and a good thing, but when the world distorts it, it's destructive. There's a second word for love that the Bible uses a lot. It's phileo. It's where we get brotherly love. It's like the city of Philadelphia. It's known as the city of brotherly love, and it's, it's that idea of friendship. But there's a third word the Bible uses when it describes love, and it's agape love. And, and in 1 Corinthians 13, that's what's used over and over again is agape. And that describes this selfless kind of love, this, this endless love, this unconditional love. And that's what Paul uses here. He uses agape love. And, 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 and we know this, 1 John 4, 8 uses that word, that whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is agape. And, and this is what 1 Corinthians 13 uses. And, and it's that kind of love that, that describes a deep and committed love for, for God, for one another. Agape is what he uses. And basically point two is this. Love, according to 1 Corinthians 13, is living out the character qualities of God. And that's our calling, to, to, to be a people that say we will live out in our everyday life the, the character of God. Agape love is, is that act of, of, of living that out in everyday life. And, and, and you see, like, like 1 John 4, 8 is a really great verse. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. And, and because we know God, we are compelled to, to have this kind of sacrificial, this long-suffering kind of love. And, 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 and what we're going to do over the next several weeks is look at how that fleshes out in our lives. And, and we need to learn to demonstrate this kind of love. Now, just as a way of preparation, as we get ready to, to get into the details, let's Let's, let's recognize something. We don't feel our way to loving God and others. And when I look at this passage, uh, we, we make a decision to love God and love others. We decide to do this. We're not going to accidentally stumble into to loving God with all our hearts. Like the great commandment says, love the Lord with your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is not, this is not just an accidental stumbling into. No, this is a decision that we make. And, and one of the prayers I pray that, that we as a body, as a local body, a, an autonomous church, planted here in Tulsa and Owasso, that, that we make a decision that we're going to love people. We're going to love God. We're going to love others. And, and remember when in Colossians, we just finished this study of Colossians a few, a few weeks ago, and we looked at a Colossians 3.14, which says, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect har- harmony. And, and we see, we've seen over and over again that, that God is calling us to make a decision to love others. And that's our call. We've got to be a church that decides to do this. And as we decide to do this, you know what will happen is, is love, it's evident in our actions, in what comes out of us, in our responses to people, in our, our responses to the world. To even those that, that, don't disagree, that don't think like us, don't act like us. And, and it's been interesting to follow a few of the media reports. I, I haven't looked too deeply because that tends to just get me distracted. But, but, but I did watch a couple of, of interviews about the convention. And it's interesting as, 
as we, as I think about rubbing shoulders with people that don't think like us. Look, we're different. When you follow the Bible, it moves you to a different way of thinking and a different response. But it moves us to show love to people that even disagree with us, even don't like us. And, and, and you know, when I think about how important it is for love to be evident in our actions, and 1 Corinthians 13 really helps us see what that looks like. So here's what I want to ask you to do. At least once a week, at least once a week throughout the rest of the summer, would you just take a day where you just read 1 Corinthians 13 start to finish? It's not a long chapter. But I want to challenge you to meditate on it and think about it and, and let God, God use his spirit to speak to your heart about what it looks like to, to love somebody that, that in the season that we're in, the times that we're in, in the world that we're in. Love has got to be evident in our actions. 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This means that we've got to, we've got to learn to act lovingly. And let me tell you something. As I look at the world that we're in, it's not going to get easier to love, love people in the world that we are called to. But let's not miss the fact that we are called to be in this world. There's a reason that we didn't get saved and God just took us to heaven. Sometimes I wish that had been a, that'd been a good idea. But we got a race to run. We got a job to do. And I'll tell you, I, I, I know there have been some bad reports in the media, but I'm grateful that we gathered together with like-minded people. And I want you to recognize, in spite of what you heard, that was 16,000 of like-minded, like-hearted people. And for us, in Owasso, Oklahoma, and Tulsa, called to go to the world from here. And I love the example today because, you know, Mark Hall's here and, and, and it's inspiring to me as a pastor to, to look at a young man that, that grew up in this church that went to OBU with Robin and I and he and Ann meet and get married and Mark was on his way to the medical field and, um, and, and rather than going to the medical field, he, he, he really goes on a short-term trip and realizes, God, you've called me to the nation's. And I'll tell you, it's inspiring to me to see him today. And I think about how so glad Mark has taught me how to love people that don't think like us, don't look like us, don't act like us. But, but, but I'll tell you, that's so important for us to learn to love people and to follow the Lord. You might think, well, how do we get there, Chris? Well, well, let, let me tell you the, what, we can, what we know. Do you know why I believe we can get there? Because we can love. You know why? Because God first loved us. Look at, look at 1 John 4.19. It says, we love because he first loved us. God loved us. And, and this is why when I, when I feel the struggle 
of, of a relationship with people in my life, to have a different moral stance or a different um, political stance or you name it. And I look at sin in the world. And I look at the grip of sin in the world. And, and one of the ways I can recognize it because I look in the mirror and I know what the effects of sin brought to my life. But I also look in the mirror and know how Jesus set me free. How Jesus took me and met me where I was and, and, and forgave me of my sin because he first loved me. It's changed everything. And you know, I, I'm confident. I'm confident where we are as a church. I'm confident in where we are as a, as a, as a denomination. Because one of the things that we all know, Jesus, you saved me and I didn't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. And Jesus forgave me and washed my sins away. And that kind of grace that was shown to me moves me to be gracious to others. So folks, let's be a church that learns how to love people. Ask Joe if you'll come on up, man. I got to land the plane here today. And Andrew's coming. You know, um, <laughs> we went to middle school camp this week. I didn't. He did. There's no better way. Come on up, Andrew. There's no better way to learn to love somebody than go to middle school camp, right? <laughs> like when it talks about patience, that's it right there, baby. Uh, but we had adult leaders and people that went and invested in our middle school kids. And I want to thank you for praying. And, and you know what? We're not finished. We're going to camp again this week. So pray for this guy. I'm going this time. I'm going to, tomorrow. But, but I'll tell you, God moved. God is moving And, and, and it's time for us to not only respond to loving others, because let me tell you something, the Lord is going to teach us this summer how to love others and what that looks like. But it's time to put that into practice today. Andrew, would you just kind of help us end today? We got to see nine students accept Christ last week, Amen. and it's so cool. And many more who, who made decisions, who were still talking through things, who are ready to get baptized, and so thank you. It was evident that, church, you were praying, and, um, and we need you to pray some more. So um, two things I want to say. One, if you currently have a student's name on your wrist, uh, don't take it off. Keep praying for them. Now is the week for our junior hires who just got back that Satan's going to attack. And Satan's going to lie. And so we've got to keep lifting them up in prayer. But I would encourage you today to add a high schooler uh, to that prayer list. Mm -hmm. um, and so just like we did last week, church, um, we're going to start this off on our knees. 
And I'm going to encourage you this morning to come and get a bracelet. And you can stop right there and pray right here. You can go back to your chair and pray. Uh, But church, we've got to be a church that's on our knees. And so I'm asking you this week again, let's get on our knees for this next generation. Um, You know, love is such an important topic that we're talking through with them right now. There's so many lies. There's so many distractions. And so we're going to take a week away from as many of the distractions as we can and focus on him. And so we just invite you to be part of that journey on your knees this week. If you're with us online, uh, one great way that you can plug in, I know we don't have a way to do bracelets online, but I want to remind everybody that on the church app, we have a prayer guide. Uh, And many of you used it this past week as you prayed. Um, If you're on the home tab, you just click the engage button and you'll be able to see it right there. And this starts week three of that prayer guide for high schoolers. And so uh, we'd encourage you to to check that out as well. So right now, I'm just going to pray over us, and then I invite you, church, to get on your knees for some high schoolers Mr. today. Redbud. Redbud. Oh, yeah. Um, we're going to celebrate because um, we're not only do we want to celebrate last week, uh, but we want to celebrate what God's going to do this week. And um, so I hope that you'll join us next Sunday night at Redbud Park. We've uh, we've we have the whole park all, all evening. Uh, it's first and foremost a picnic. Um, and so you can bring your own food. We'll also have food trucks on site. Um, but that will also be our, our baptism celebration. That we're going to baptize out there at the park. And uh, we are so excited, church, just to, to gather together and celebrate all that God's doing. And so we hope that you'll plan to join us at Redbud Park. It starts at 6, uh, but you guys come, come that evening and celebrate. Let's pray now. God, we thank you. We thank you for the work that you're doing and the work that you're going to do. And so, God, we as, as one body, we just declare that we are going to commit to get in our, on our knees as a church, to be a praying church. So, God, would you remind us to do that this week? As we have these names on our wrists this week, God, would you have people ask us about them so that we have an opportunity to talk about you? God, we pray over these high schoolers that leave in the morning. God, would you save some of them? Would you call them to yourself? Would they learn new things about love from you and not from this world? some that are coming know you but haven't been following you God would you call them to follow you we love you father and we're in anticipation of what you're going to do in the lives of students we're excited to celebrate that so God you do what only you can do we're going to commit to do our part to get on our knees this week for these students. We love you, Father. We ask you to move in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.